Uh, it's good to be here. Um, and I'd like to congratulate you uh, on having an evening service. I believe in evening services. Uh, our, our church, I go to Cal Calvary Christian Fellowship. Uh, my wife and I go there. And we don't have an evening service, which I think is a bit sad. Because I think there's a very important place in the life of the church for an evening service. And certainly, um, when I was working, I'm not working now, as you can tell, a bit slapdash, you know, it doesn't matter what. Um, when I was working uh, at St. Gabriel's in Blackburn, St. James in Chorley, we always had evening services and we uh, maintained them. And we saw people growing, particularly in their faith, at an evening service. So I would I recommend that and I hope uh, more people will come uh, because this is a good place to be. Uh, and by way of introduction, I just want to say, Mike, I'm from Liverpool. <laughs> and everything you say about it is absolutely right. And I know the one person who wasn't so good, but we'll pray for them. Um, you may have gathered from the passage and the songs that we've been singing about such love that the, the passage from John 15 is, is about love. It's about uh, love, sin, and the spirit. I, I don't want to sort of mix those things up, the spirit and sin, but you know what I mean. It's about love, sin, and, and the spirit. And I'm going to talk about those things. Um, when I was a, a child, at primary school, I don't know what age I was, probably about seven or eight or something like that, I remember asking my parents two questions uh, sitting around a coal fire one night. My first question was, how do you know when you fall in love? And they looked at each other and smiled and, um, and their answer of course was, you just know. And the second question was, you know when you're married, what do you talk about? Now, I wish I knew why I asked those questions, but it's a long time ago. And uh, something must have been happening in primary school or in this little lad's head or something. Um, I've now been married for over 47 years. I know about falling in love, and I really enjoy talking with my wife. It's one of the best things I can do, and listening to her. So, um, yeah, I know a little bit about love, and you must have heard uh, sermons about love on numerous occasions. This may be, I hope, slightly different. And before we get to some of the application, I'd like to talk about Jesus' love. Right, Jesus' love. Uh, greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus' love is sacrificial. Now, in one of the churches where Joan and I ministered, there was a, a couple of people who went around at one point saying, you know, in, in the words of the Beatles song, all you need is love. That's what they say, you know. Whatever problem, difficulty there was, the answer is love. And it's very difficult to contradict that, isn't it? Right? But that's, and, you know, for a while I thought, yeah, we'll go along with this. Um, but it was, eventually I discovered the way they said this, it was a bit like love being a magic wand. Waft the magic wand over whatever trouble, whatever difficulty, whatever 
a problem arises in the life of the church or in marriage or anything at all, you waft this wind, this wand over it, and it, it's a bit like Mary Poppins, you know, uh, tidying up the children's room with a click, and everything goes into place. Try, try telling that to Jesus in Gethsemane. You see, because love is tough. Love is tough. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he suffered agony. He, uh, his sweat was like drops of blood. Uh, we have three wonderful grandchildren. Hannah, Joshua and Beth. Beth is 12. Beth is a bit quirky. She's very articulate. She's very bright. She has a very sharp wit. Um, she plays tennis, netball, football. Uh, she, knew, she plays all sorts of things. And she comes in on one occasion from one of these sports in her sports gear and says, I'm sweating like Niagara Falls. <laughs> Have you heard that expression? I've never heard that. I'm sweating like Niagara Falls. No. No, but if you want to use it, feel free. <laughs> so Jesus is, is, is there and, um, and he's human. You know, he's flesh and bone. So crucifixion and execution by that method is not something that he can waft the wand over and it's going to make it easy peasy, chocolate squeezy. This is agony. Contemplating it. Uh, and there in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he prays and he's agonizing. And Jesus, this wonderful man, uh, you know, says, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. This is a man struggling. This is a man struggling. And, um, but he gets through Gethsemane because of two things. One is obedience to the Father, and the second is love for his Father and for us. So Jesus goes through that ag agony, he goes through the torment in the garden, and he suffers the excruciating pain in the execution of crucifixion, and he does that out of obedience and out of love. That's love. And he does it for you and me. Why? To save us from ourselves. To save us from ourselves. To save us from the self we could be if we didn't know him. And if I have a guess about you, I don't know any of you really well, I reckon there's a side to you that's pretty ugly. I don't mean your looks. But your character, your personality. There's a side of you that, that if, if you were to come out and tell us that side, we would be shocked. Especially as we're in a church. There are things that you have said and done which are awful. Furthermore, there are things that you have thought about that you would like to do, but you never had the courage to do or the opportunity, which are dreadful. And Jesus has saved you from those things. Jesus has saved you from that horrible, ugly self that was once perhaps predominating in you. And he did this by defeating death, the world, and sin on the cross and out of love. He loves you so much that he was willing to go through that agony 
in order to save you and me and give us a wonderful life so that even when we've hit, hit the, um, the concrete outside the cavern in Liverpool, we can still stand up here and say, all things work for good. That's the work of Christ in Mike's life. That's wonderful, isn't it? That gets us punch in the air, and in a moment we'll run round the chairs shouting yippee or something. Is that all right? No, we won't do that. So Jesus' love is sacrificial. It's tough. It may be that you are in a situation with a relative or a friend or a member of the church or someone in the community and life is pretty tough with them and loving them is really hard. Right. When I was at theological college, um, our next door neighbour, actually our next door neighbour in Liverpool, had gone to the same theological college two years before me. He was a very bright lad, unlike me. He'd been to Cambridge, unlike me. And um, when I got there, you know, and I had to read books and uh, do exams, Ross, God love him, would come up to me and he'd say, you don't want, you don't want to read that book. Don't read that book, George. This is the book to read. Do you want to, you want, you want to, this is the best, you're doing that exam, this is the right thing to do. No, don't, 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 this is, get this book and you get it. So what are you doing? You're not doing that, are you, George? And he would, you know, I would try and avoid him. I'd avoid him like the plague. And then I realised my relationship with Ross, Ross was, was not what God would want it to be. So I, I uh, repented of that and looked for opportunities when Ross and I could, could uh, relate to each other better. And that worked. God did it. So I was speaking to Ross on the phone only last week uh, the week before and we have, we have great fun together we have a, a running joke uh, we, we go to New Wine uh, we don't always see each other because there are a lot of people there but when we do see each other we pretend that we know what we talked about last time we met which is a year ago and people around us wonder what the heck is going on because we will, we will just pick up this conversation and make it up as we go along it doesn't matter who's there we just do it now, now, the Lord saved me from making an enemy of Ross, of him becoming my friend, and a good friend at that. Now, I don't know what situation you are in, but the love of Jesus will change that situation. Or rather, he may not change the situation, but he may change you. Or he may change the other person, or both of you. Right. David Pitchers, you've heard of David Pitchers? You know, founder of New Wine? Yeah, and you know how he came to be filled with the Spirit? Through arguing with his bishop. Right? Right? When he was in Chile as a missionary, for over a year the bishop really got him down because the bishop wasn't really supporting what they were doing. And they came to England on furlough. I'll tell you a bit about Mary at the end. Came to England on furlough. Did not want to go back. The Lord called them back and he decided he just had to have it out with the bishop. So he goes to see the bishop and as he's travelling to the bishop, he takes his Bible, he's, got, he's written a list out of all the things the bishop has done wrong. Right? I guess it was probably a long list. He's written, and, that, and then he's got his little Bible, so he opens it and remarkably he starts reading 1 Corinthians 13. 
And what really sticks out to him is about not, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And he's just made his list. And so he thinks, when I get there, it has to be different. It has to be different. So the bishop opens the door, and David Pitchers immediately thinks, if I wait until we get to his study at the back of this building, I may lose heart and not offer my apology. And so he does. There on the doorstep, David Pitchers says, sorry, I'm bi sorry, Bishop, for the way I've been treating you. And the bishop apologises as well. They both end up with their arms round each other, end up kneeling on the floor in the hallway there, in tears, confessing their sins to each other, and David is consequently filled with the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? The love of Jesus in both men brought them together to say, I'm sorry. So the love of Jesus is sacrificial. And the cross changes our lives and may indeed change situations, but certainly will change us. That's the first thing. The second thing, which is a bit different, uh, the love of Jesus is challenging. Okay? Go call your husband. I haven't got a husband. I know you haven't got a husband. I know you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with at the moment isn't your husband either. Now, is that the way to treat anyone? Is it, I mean, it was him and uh, Jesus and the woman. They shouldn't be talking to each other. One's a Jew, one's a Samaritan. One's a man, one's a woman. They're there on their own by the well. They're not supposed to do this. This isn't in the culture of the day, but Jesus abandons it, you know. He doesn't pay any attention to that. And he engages in a conversation, and he goes straight to the point, like, you know, straight to the point. Go call your husband. Or what about it's not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs? The Syrophoenician woman, right? She's wanting to meet with Jesus. The, the disciples are trying to usher her away. And Jesus, in a sense, is not having anything to do with her. And then she comes up and kneels in front of him and says, you know, her daughter is, is gravely ill. Will Jesus do something? And he said, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. It's like calling it a dog. It's not quite as harsh in the original uh, language, but it nevertheless has a sense of rebuke. This is challenging love. You may never have seen it like that. But what Jesus is up to, he's, he's up to getting beneath the surface of what the person's about. He's, he's, he's teasing out of them, he's teasing out of them what is really there which they, in a sense, they may not have articulated yet, or they haven't realised yet, or they haven't faced yet. And because he loves them, and he says this to them, in, he says it in such a way that they don't feel rebuked, but somehow he engages them in this conversation so that they respond. So the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that are under the master's table. And what has Jesus done in his love and his understanding, his insight into this woman's life, he has elicited faith from her. That's what he's done. He's drawn out the faith. It was already there, but you know, we know, do we not, that sometimes it's when you speak something out that you actually affirm what you feel. So when you have that moment, 
when you're with that dark, handsome stranger or that lovely young lady and you hear yourself saying to them, I love you, it's not just words to them, it's words to yourself testifying to your feeling and the truth of your feeling. So when the woman says, yes, but even the children eat the crumbs on the... She will hear herself say that. And the woman at the well going and saying, come and see the man who told me everything there was to know about me. She's, she's expressing something. It's important for her to express that. And what has brought that out is because Jesus loves both women. He loves them. And this is the way for them to come to faith. So what challenging thing may Jesus be saying to you at the moment? In these last 24, 48 hours. What challenging thing might he say to you? There's a, a part of uh, Matthew's gospel. Um, some of you here may not approve of the message. Some people do, some people don't. I find it really uh, helpful sometimes. Really, really helpful. I, it, I'm not going to have the time to read all this. But read the last part of Matthew 11. If you can get hold of this. It says... Um, he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I, I really love this passage. It talks about rhythms of grace. I really love this translation. It says, are you burnt out on religion? And you know, that speaks to me, because I hate to think that anyone would think I was religious. I don't want to be called religious. Call me Christian, I'm fine, but not religious. You know, the other week I was, I was reading this, I was going back to burnt out on religion, and you know, I realised what I'd been thinking. I'd been thinking, burnt out on religion, that's what other people do. Other people do religion. That's what I'm burnt out on. I'm burnt out on how other people do religion. And I felt the Lord rebuke me and challenge me and say, George, what you're burnt out on is your religion. You're making things into a religion. The way you read your Bible, the way you say your prayers, you're making it into a religion, George. And what's more, because you're doing that, you're putting yourself a cut above everyone else. And you're saying, you know, other people don't spend as long as I do in prayer. People don't read the Bible as I do. People don't get up as early as I do. And the Lord was saying to me, George, what you're burnt out on is your religion. I was not prepared for that. So I need to work on that. So the love of Jesus is challenging. He may be challenging you with something. It may be difficult to work it through. But if he is doing that, it's because he loves you. There's something there he wants to tease out, wring out of you. Something that perhaps you've not realised yet. Okay? And the last thing I want to mention is related to that, is that the love of Jesus is realistic and compassionate. Um, what about these words? Uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, how about that? This is Jesus being absolutely real about Simon Peter. 
This is Jesus knowing Simon Peter will deny him three times. Now we might say, if Jesus knew that, why didn't Jesus say to Simon Peter, Simon, my friend, look, you're going to get, I'm going to be arrested and it, it, we're going to be in a tight spot here. And there's every possibility that in that difficulty, you will be tempted to deny me. And I'll tell you where it's going to place, t take place, Simon. It's going to take place close to where I am. And there'll be a fire and there'll be people around and they'll come up to you and they'll say, you're one of the Galileans, aren't you? You were with him, weren't you? So what I'm suggesting to you, Simon, Peter, I'm suggesting that you don't go there, okay? Stay away from there, because otherwise you're going to deny me. Go home. Stay with your friends. Lock the door, stay indoors. Jesus could have said that, but he doesn't say that. Hey, this is, this is turning the world upside down here because Jesus is allowing Simon Peter to deny him. Now, isn't that odd? Why does Jesus allow that to happen when he knows what's going to happen? I think Jesus allows it to happen because Simon Peter had to realize he was a sinner. And he had to realize it big time. No little minor mistakes for Simon Peter. This had to be a big one. This had to really bring Simon Peter down. And bring him down in such a way that only the Lord could build him up. So his Confidence would not be in himself, but in the Lord. So it may be that in your life, as in mine, the Lord has allowed us to sin because he wants to bring us down from our lofty position. He wants to... He wants to... What's the word? He wants to drive a hole through our perception of ourselves which leaves us in bits. So that on our knees we see the king of glory da 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 we're on our knees it said didn't it? We're on our, on our knees on our knees we confess our sin. When I was in Chorley at St. James doing my religious thing of saying my prayers early in the morning I, I, there was a period when I would kneel down and this is before I got into things charismatic and I'd open my arms and pray and what happened was I felt my arms, my hands being pushed apart and, and I knew I wasn't doing it and they would push apart and they would keep going and they would keep going until they were stretched out. And this happened morning after morning after morning for quite a long time. I didn't tell Joan, I didn't tell anybody. And I'd end up with my arms like this and they would ache. 
And I would say to God, what is this about? What is this about? I don't understand. What is this about? Am I going crackers? You're right. Am I losing it? <laughs> I need that like this. And being a bear of very slow brain, I eventually recognized it was crucifixion. What God was saying, George, you need to die to yourself. You need to die. That's why I'm pushing your arms out. You need to die to yourself. You know, there was a time, what, what about this? I don't know if you've ever done There was a time when, you know, I had a, a, a prayer book and wrote people's names in. I also had a list when I used to write my sins down. How about that? Right? We never got to the bottom of the page. And when this happened, I thought, oh dear goodness me, how shallow writing a list of sins. As if, you know, they were containable on a page, therefore they must be containable in my life. The truth was, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner through and through, saved by Jesus, by the precious blood of the Lamb who has taken away my sin. Right. So it may be that the Lord allows you into a position where you sin because he wants to bring you down. He wants to bring you down off to that lofty perch and he wants to show you that he loves you. Because hear, hear those words of Jesus. Simon, Simon, I have... Uh, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, you will turn around. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. And you will turn around and God will give you something wonderful to do. Isn't that good? So, see, it's very realistic. Jesus' love is very realistic. It's not airy-fairy, wafting a wand nonsense. It's real about us. And sometimes he, he challenges us and sometimes he allows us to be in situations and do things because that's the way he has ordained for us to know him better. And he does it out of love. It's a strange thing but that's what he does with Simon Peter. That's what he did with me. That's what he's done with others. And then we realize more fully what his death on the cross means. Now then, uh, to, to finish, this love of Jesus is sacrificial. It's challenging. It's realistic. And it's compassionate. Right. Now one thing that preachers don't always do is tell you how to get there. So I'm going to attempt now as we come to a close to suggest a wonderful way of receiving the love of Jesus this ex we've, we've only in a sense touched on the surface haven't we we could talk for the next week about what Jesus' love is like but we've, we've expressed something of it um, in my uh, on July the 31st 
I, uh, I decided that I was going to do my Bible, my devotional time, quiet time, whatever you want to call it. I was going to do it slightly differently. Um, you know, I've used the Church of England lectionary for, for ages. And I've, I've done other things like the Purpose Driven Life and stuff like that. Um, but on this day, I decided what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm just going to concentrate on a portion of Scripture and I'm going to, I'm going to read that and I'm going to... I'm going to analyse it, I hope in a prayerful way, and I'm going to draw stuff out of it. And I'm going to do that for as long as it takes. And the passage I chose was the passage at the end of Ephesians chapter, <coughs> Ephesians chapter 3, which says, uh, this is Paul writing to the Ephesian Christians, right, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, now here's the bit that I wanna, I'm really eager to pass on to you. And it's this. He prays, he says, I pray that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I looked up this word power. And the word is in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 16. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, What's the difference between Zechariah's power and Paul's power in Ephesians? The difference is in Zechariah it means something that is imposed and forced. In Ephesians it's dynamite. When Jesus says in Acts 1, wait for the power from on high to come upon you, the word is dunamis, it means dynamite. What Paul is praying here, he prays that they will be strengthened with power, dynamic power, it also means miracle power, through the Holy Spirit in their inner being. So we've done love of Jesus, we've mentioned sin, and now the end of the passage that was read to us, was about the spirit coming. I am going to pray for you and I'm going to pray that you will be strengthened with miraculous power through the spirit in your inner being. Right. Pardon? Amen. Amen. And as you may have noticed in this passage, what does that power also do? I am suggesting to you that that power within you, exercised here in the church, in your home, in your work, on the street, that inner power will be expressed through you and you will see people healed, converted, comforted, strengthened, etc. All right? I'm suggesting that. And I'm also suggesting that you will appreciate, understand, receive... The love of Jesus, its depth, height, length, width, as Paul says here. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? It's great, isn't it? You're right. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray over you. Right. And um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, just by the way, it says, Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it. And it carries on because it does. 
Right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrificial love, for laying down your life for us. We thank you that you know us inside out, that there will be occasions you challenge us, there will be occasions when you allow us to make a mess in order for us to be more dependent upon you and to follow you more closely. Thank you for that, Lord. And now I'm going to say a blessing over you. May the Lord, may the Lord now bless you and strengthen each one of you with his power, his miraculous working power, his dynamite. Bless you with his power through the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God, and touch these lives now. Fulfill your word. Fulfill your word and strengthen them with this power, Holy Spirit, in their inner being, deep inside the Lord. Come now. Bring healing to Mike. Bring healing deep inside each person here, in the depths of their being. If there's heartache, comfort them. If there's fear, give them peace. If there's longing, give them the desires of their heart. If there's sin, Forgive them and help them to hear your call, Jesus, to follow you. If there is some situation that seems impossible and hopeless, bring them reassurance. Give them the light of hope. The Lord bless you with this power in your inner being. And the Lord provide for you divine opportunities when you can exercise his power in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to bring comfort, encouragement, Peace, healing, 
Amen.